Welcome to the Restore Church Sermons Podcast. We're so glad you joined us here today. We hope that through this message, you are encouraged, challenged, and strengthened. If you want to know more about Jesus, Restore Church, or have any questions, please head to restorechurch.com.au. Good morning, everybody. Great to see you this morning. Um, as Jake said, be able to use the app this morning if you want to follow along. It's John chapter 9, verse 1 to 7 that I'm going to be looking at, but it's, I'm really going to give you a recap of the whole story in a minute. So you can go into your app, um, find the note sections. We've already pre-populated uh, the notes for this week with, that, with those seven verses. And then, of course, there are the notes where you are able to record all the wisdom bombs I'm going to drop on you this morning. Okay, there may not be enough room because I think it's going to be that powerful. All right, there's me talking myself up, hey? Maybe I should under-promise and over-deliver and not over-promise and under-deliver, hey? All right, so this morning I want to talk about sometimes seeing isn't that easy. And what I mean by that is um, we assume that we see things the way they are, but are they? Now, I came across a study that was kind of testing out this hypothesis and uh, what they did was they gathered two groups of students, um, two very different groups of students. One group of students was, um, would self-identify as very conservative and sort of right-wing leaning in their kind of politics and worldview. The other group was what self-identified as very progressive and left-wing leaning in their group. So what they did was they took half from each group and formed a group A, and then the remaining half from each group they formed into group B. And they put them in different rooms and they showed them both exactly the same photograph. And the photograph was of a bunch of people protesting outside a government building. To group A, they said, this is an anti-abortion protest. Write down and tell us what you see happening there. Well, the conservative students saw a bunch of... Um, well-behaved, orderly citizens exercising their democratic right to stand up for something that they thought was important. The progressive students saw an unruly, angry, judgmental mob, right? In group B, they showed them exactly the same photo and they said, this is a, uh, an LGBTQ rights protest. Guess what they saw? The conservative students saw an angry, unruly, violent mob, and the progressive students saw an orderly bunch of people exercising their rights to stand up for something they believed was important. See what's going on here? It's all about perspective, isn't it? You know, it's like the old adage, one man terrorists is another man's freedom fighter. It all depends on where you stand and what is going on. Now, sometimes it's not easy to see things as they are because the reality is we see through these things and actually not with them. And what I mean by that is what we see is more often a function of what is going on in here than what is actually happening out there. It forms a filter through which we view everything and surprise, surprise, nine times out of ten, we end up seeing stuff that validates what we already think and already Believe, Which brings us to this story this morning because this story in John chapter 9 is a story all about seeing. Now, I have no doubt whatsoever that the story that John is recording in John 9 is an actual event that actually took place. That Jesus encountered this blind man and he healed him. 
But John, I've told you before, he gets really clever with the way he tells his stories. And so while this functions as a literal uh, recording of a literal event, it also works as an allegory, right? It works at an allegorical level in that this story is also telling another story. It's telling a higher level story. And the higher level story it's telling is this that you have all these people who have sight, who claim to be able to see, but actually can't see what's right in front of their face. But on the other hand, you have a blind man who can't see, but can see everything that's going on, right? That's the point of this story. So let's just dive in. I'll give you a recap because the actual story is 41 verses long and it would take me a long time to read it to you, right? So you happy with me just giving you the idiot's version? All right, in that I'm the idiot, not you, okay. All right. <clears throat> So Jesus and his disciples, they're walking through, they come across a blind man, a bit of your interaction happens. I'm not going to look at that because we're going to look at that in depth in a second. Jesus heals this guy. This guy goes back to his village and everyone goes, hang on a second, isn't that the guy that used to beg here because he's blind? And a bunch of people say, it can't be him. He's not blind. He can see. How can it be the same guy? And they go, no, I'm pretty sure it is. So they drag him in front of the Pharisees, right? Because the day that this guy had been healed was a Sabbath. Again, Jesus just poking the bear, right? He doesn't have to heal the guy on the Sabbath, but he does. So he heals it on the Sabbath. So they drag him before the, the Pharisees. And the Pharisees say, tell us what happened. And he goes, well, I'm, I was blind and you know, now I can see and everything. And they're like, well, who healed you? And he said, well, Jesus did. And they go, no, 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 that didn't happen. And here's why this didn't happen. Because it's the Sabbath. And God doesn't do anything on the Sabbath. People who do things on the Sabbath are sinners, and everyone knows that sinners can't be used by God to heal people, right? See the assumption playing out there? All right. So you can't, you can't be healed. And, and he's like, well, you know, I kind of am. And they said, right, we, we don't believe you were blind in the first place. All right. Isn't this a propensity that some of us have to do? Don't let the facts bother you. Just, you know, work around that. So go and get mum and dad. And they bring mum and dad before the Pharisees, and the Pharisees go, is this your son? Yes. Was he born blind? Yes. Well, how, can, how then can he see? Well, they're worried that if they say the truth, like, you know, Jimmy came home and told us that, that Jesus actually healed him, we're going to get thrown out of the synagogue, right? And so they say, well, he's old enough. Ask him. Oh, deflection, right? You know, ask him. I'm putting, putting the blame back onto him. I'm not getting involved in this. And so they say, right, you know, tell us again. You know, tell us what happened. How did, how did you get healed? And he said, I've told you the story. I've already told you the story. Jesus healed me. And they go, give glory to God. You stop lying about this. We know he's a sinner because he healed on the Sabbath and, and sinners can't be used by God to heal. And he goes, oh, man, whether he's a... I love this. This is... I love this guy. I think he's the sassiest guy in the Bible and he's got the best answers, right? And I can't wait to meet him in eternity because I'm going to go, dude, that was awesome, right? Um, and, and he goes, look, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know, but I do know this. I was blind, but now I can see, right? What, a, what an answer. And just as an aside, you know, like if you ever get into an argument with people about whether God's real or Jesus is real or whatever, don't engage them on the level of apologetics about trying to prove that it's true. Tell your story, right? Tell your story. Hey, whether or not all of this adds up to, the, to, to satisfy you or not, let me just tell you what I know. I was this, but now I am, all right? You tell them what God's done in your life. There's no argument with what God has done in your life, right? Okay, even though the Pharisees want to argue the point. So they're like, no, how exactly did it happen? And he says, I've already told you. Why do you keep asking? Do you want to become his disciples too? Oh, burn. Like, and they're like, get out of here. Because, you know, if you can't win an argument, just chuck a tantrum and throw people out of the room. So throw, throw this guy out of the room. Anyway, 
Jesus finds this guy later because he hears he's been thrown out of the synagogue. And he says, says to the guy, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he goes, I, I do. And he goes, well, I'm him. And it says the guy believed and then worshipped him. And the Pharisees say, oh, what, so we're the blind ones? And he goes, well, fundamentally, yes. You claim to be able to see. That's the thing that actually makes you guilty because you can't actually see what's standing right in front of you. Right? There's the story in a nutshell, okay? The idiot's version. So, in verse 1, Jesus and his disciples, they're walking down the road when they see a man who's been blind since birth. And their first question is this. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that this man was born blind? That's their first question. Who sinned, okay? Why? Why is that their first question? Well, that's their worldview. It's all cause and effect to them. That's what's been taught to them, okay? Sickness was a sign of curse. Uh, Being wealthy, prosperous, healthy, all of that, that was a sign of blessing. That's how their world worked, okay? You were obedient, you would be blessed. You were disobedient, you were a sinner, you would be cursed. Now, to us, that might seem a little archaic, but... To, to be honest, that kind of thinking is still around a little bit today. You know, we express it differently, but that's, that's around today, this whole idea of cause and effect. We might say, what goes around comes around. You've heard that, haven't you? Some people might think that the universe is kind of extracting its revenge or paying you back for what's good. Some people call it karma. And then, of course, we've got just on a natural, pragmatic level, we've got things like consequences, don't we? All right? This is, an, this is actually an expression of cause and effect. If you make good and wise choices, generally speaking, you're going to have better outcomes in life than someone who doesn't make good and wise choices. Yeah? Now, it's not inevitable, right? It's not inevitable. There are always exceptions to the rule. But generally speaking, um, you make good choices, you'll get better outcomes. You make poor choices, you'll get worse outcomes. So consequences are real. When, when I don't know if I've told this story, but... it. Uh, I'll let you in, and you can sign up for my parenting course later. But when, when our eldest daughter was about three, uh, we were sitting around at our dining room table, and she, you know, had kids climb under chairs and tables all the time because they're bored? And she was right in the middle, and for some reason she decided to stand up. And so there was this just almighty, you know, and followed by the inevitable... And I got her out, and I picked her up, and I said, you know, that is a direct act- uh, consequence of your actions. So if you want to sign up to my parenting class, uh, it's a lesson she never, ever forget. Filled in, okay, we're, we're good there, okay, okay. So there are consequences, right? So it's not out there, this cause and effect thing. But these guys were going actually one step further, and I want you to hear this. They're going one step further. They're attributing this blindness to God, right? In the sense that someone's done something wrong, and because someone has done something wrong, God has caused this man to be born blind. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? But as I say, they haven't plucked this out of thin air. It's what they've been taught. And you know what? If you've read your Bible, if you've read the Old Testament, particularly the Torah, the first five books of the the Bible, you'll come across this, especially in these places like Leviticus. There's always these kind of conditional verses that if you do this, then God will do that. When I first became a Christian, I used to do Bible memory verses. Does anyone remember doing that sort of stuff? You know, you try and memorise large swathes of the Bible. And uh, the one of them that I got was all about obedience, right? And it was Joshua 1.8. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but be careful to do everything that is written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. So this idea that, that those who are obedient are blessed and those who do, are disobedient are cursed, all right, this is not plucked out of thin air. It's there in our Bibles, okay? So, and that form of thinking is still very much around today, even in Christian circles. There seems to be this, 
blessing formula, right? And we seem to be able, we seem to use it as kind of a metric, a way of evaluating who's blessed and who's not. So if someone's got like, you know, a lot of people or a lot of money or a big car and a big house or an international ministry or whatever, we go, oh, they must be blessed of God. Conversely, anyone who doesn't have those things, they're not blessed of God. But, you know, here's the thing I want us to understand. It's a mistake for us to think that it's that simple. Blessing is real. Don't get me wrong. There is obedience in being, in, um, there is blessing in being obedient. There is. It's just not a formula, right? Are you with me on that? It's just not a formula. It's just not something we do in order to get something, and it's always going to work out that way. There was a time when, when in our um, first ministry, when we were first starting and we were planting this church, um, we had we didn't have two sticks to rub together most days. You know, I mean, we were really we had no money whatsoever, and there was this little incident we had where someone happened to mention something to me about the dire straits that they were in, and immediately I felt like we need to do something about that. And so I said to Heather, I'm going to give them our money. And when I said our money, it was every cent that we had. And I gave them all our money. And gleefully inside, I'm like, I can't wait to see what comes our way. You know, like we are going to be so blessed, you know. Like we are, I'm going to get home and there's just going to be like a wad of cash on the, because, you know, I'm being obedient and God's going to bless me. Well, you know what? For a whole week, nothing. Absolutely nothing. In fact, nothing ever did come. But you know what? We found food that we had in the cupboard that we probably didn't realise we had, you know? So anyway, the point in telling you that story was it's not a formula. We don't go, I'm going to obey and then stand back in expectation that something magnificent is going to happen to us. Sometimes the blessing is in just the obedience. Are you with me? All right? So we don't make it into a formula. It's real, okay? But what I want us to get here is to think about the implications of what these guys are thinking and the way they see the world. This guy has been born blind, right? He has been blind from birth. So, think about this for a second. What does that say about a God that... Well, firstly, what does it say about a child that can commit a sin so heinous in utero that they are born blind for it? What can you get up to in the womb... I mean, seriously, what can you get up to in the room? Where can you go? What can you spend the non-existent money you have on? What can you possibly do in the womb? It doesn't make sense, does it? How does a child in utero do something so heinous that they're born blind? Okay. Secondly, what sort of God strikes a baby blind for doing something wrong? What sort of God strikes a baby blind for the parents messing up? Man, I tell you what, if that's how God worked, our kids would be screwed, right? <laughs> Sorry, you're not allowed to say screwed. In trouble, okay? <laughs> what sort of God would do that? Here's something else to think about, right? Here's a little theological excursion for us. Jesus is God in the flesh, right? Yeah? Jesus is God in the flesh. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's what he says. Hebrews tells us that he is the exact representation of God's likeness. John tells us that he is the word made flesh. He is God, right, in person. He is God in person. So if he is God in person, what did Jesus do every time he encountered sickness? He healed it. Every time Jesus encounters sickness, he heals it. So if Jesus is God... This doesn't make sense because we've got God the Father inflicting people with disease and illness and, you know, infirmity, while God the Son walks around undoing everything God the Father's doing. Does that make sense? 
It doesn't make sense, does it? It doesn't make sense. What we need to understand is what we see in Jesus is what God is like. God is not the author of sickness. He's not the author of infirmity. He doesn't curse us. Yes, I get it. In the Old Testament, that's how the way people think it worked. And if you lived in Old Testament times, in which the disciples kind of did, they were kind of the tail end of the Old Testament times, you would have an excuse for going, well, if something's wrong with someone, if someone's got leprosy or someone's blind or someone's paralysed or someone's got a disease that, that is attributable to them being a sinner and then God has caused that in that, you'd have an excuse for that then, but not now, not this side of Jesus, right? Not this side of Jesus for us to think, well, you know, how do we pray about this? Because maybe they've got this because they deserve it. No. You with me? No one deserves it. We do what Jesus did and we try and we pray for them to be healed, right? Because sickness is not from God. In fact, Acts chapter 10 verse 38 says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil because God was with him, right? All. Who was doing the oppressing? The devil, not God. Sickness does not come from the hand of God. Okay, you with me on that? All right, so we might have had an excuse if we lived in Old Testament times, but not this side of Jesus. But here's the thing. Some assumptions are so deeply embedded in us and so widely accepted that we never stop to question the implications of those assumptions. It just is. That's just the way it is. And what we see usually, as I said, just backs up what we already believe. It just validates the way we already see things. And there were a bunch of assumptions that were going on in this story. The disciples assumed that it was this man or his parents' fault, right? So someone was to blame here. In any, in any case, move on, get on with your life. The, the, uh, the community of people, they didn't believe that a blind man could see, therefore this guy that's now saying he's been healed couldn't be the same guy, right? You with me? It's just like, this can't be happening because blind people don't see. And the Pharisees who believed Jesus was a sinner didn't believe that he could be used to heal a guy. Ergo, this guy cannot be now have his sight. Or secondly, Jesus couldn't possibly have done it because he was a sinner. Can you see how our assumptions and our worldviews and the way we think about things get in the way of seeing what's right in front of us? All right? So all this stuff was going on all the time. Anyway, they ask, who is at fault, his or his parents? And Jesus says, and this is from the message version, neither. You're asking the wrong question there is no such cause and effect here so he's not saying there's no such thing as cause and effect there are there are consequences but what he's saying is there's no such cause and effect here what's going on here is not as simple as someone who's done something to deserve it or they're just reaping the consequences of a bad choice there's something else going on here but these guys were just doing what we all do whenever we come across something particularly maybe we do it on a little more on a um on a kind of more existential level when we hear about disasters and things like that. But I know we definitely do it on a personal level when stuff happens to us. All they're doing is a thing that we all do, and that is we ask why. Like, why? Why, why is this happening? What's going on here? And why, do we, why do we need to know? Why do we need an explanation? I don't know about you, but sometimes I think in, in, in having an explanation just makes me feel like I'm not awash in this kind of meaningless and random universe. That I need to assign reason to this because somehow it kind of helps me make sense of it. You know what I'm saying? Or at least I think it makes me help make some sort of sense in it. But, you know, to be honest, um, the number of times in you know, all my years of ministry I've sat with people who've gone through some terrible tragedies and some stuff has happened to them and this question is never far from the surface. 
But the bottom line is, it never makes things better if you could understand why. It doesn't take away the pain. It doesn't stop the suffering. Um, understanding why really doesn't help that much. In fact, in my own journey, and I'm sorry if I keep talking about this, but um, with my, my cancer and stuff, this is a live issue for me. This isn't something that's in the rear view mirror, so it's going to come up a little bit for me. But I had to go and see a geneticist because I, I don't know if you know this about me, right? But not only did my mother and father have cancer, but all my father's siblings had cancer and all my mother's siblings had cancer as well. And so they said, we really need to look to find out if there's some sort of funky gene going on in your family, right? And not a good funky gene either, right? You know, not the stuff that makes me be able to dance because I can't, right? <laughs> And so they went through, they did, they did this whole table of tests on me and my sister. And uh, I went back in for the results and she went through and she goes, we can't identify in you or your sister even one gene that would, would give us some indication of why this is happening to you. The bottom line is, and she said, this is, this is, just, the crude, this is just crude language, but this is what it is. It's just bad luck. Just bad luck. Which... It didn't bother me too much because even if they would have said, hey, there's a funky gene that does it, it doesn't change my situation, does it? Just because I know that's the reason this happens, it doesn't change. I mean, it's great that I can tell my own children they've got to watch out for stuff, but it doesn't change anything. So knowing why doesn't necessarily change anything for us at all. So maybe we want a reason. Or maybe it's like this, as Jesus goes on to say in this story, maybe we're just looking for someone or something to blame. Right? That's what he says. Don't go looking for... There's no such cause and effect. Don't go looking for someone to blame. What, what, the blame game is really easy to play, isn't it? The, the blame game is a great distraction from whatever it is we're facing. You know, the blame game is, is a way of not having to deal with the stuff that's really going on with us whenever we're confronted with something that's difficult. You know, there's no better way to galvanise a group of people than to find someone else to blame about something. You know what I mean? The blame game is an easy one, but you know what? It's a dead-end street, and it doesn't help you. It doesn't help anyone else. There is a slight payoff in it. You know, it's a great defence mechanism, be it denial, projection, or displacement, you know. stops us having to look at ourselves, have to deal with the stuff, have to face up to things. Um, it's easier to be angry than it is sad, and it's a great way to avoid responsibility for having to be proactive and do something constructive about it. I mean, if it had been, if this, in this particular situation, who's to blame here, this guy or his mum? If Jesus were to go, well, you know, it was his mum and dad's fault, what they were looking for is like, well, that's got nothing to do with us. We can just move on. But Jesus is looking at it through a completely different lens. He says, don't go looking for someone to blame. Look instead for what God can do. Look instead for what God can do. Don't go asking why this happened. That can be a dead-end street, right? Look for what God is doing in this situation. And part of the reason we don't want to look for what God is doing in that situation is because that has implications for us, for that we may have to do something ourselves, that we might need actually to get involved, where if it's just looking for a reason, we can ascribe it to a reason, we can move on with our life, right? But he's like, no, 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 don't go looking for someone to blame. Instead, look for God, what God can do. Don't ask why, ask what. Now, wouldn't it be great if that was our instinctive response every time we came up against something difficult, wouldn't it be great? So every time something happened, we just went, oh, God, what are you doing? I'm excited. What are you doing here? I can tell you right now, when things go wrong for me, that is not my reflexive response. All right? It is not. My reflexive response is usually, um, 
not good. Okay? That's putting it simply, not good. Not happy, confused, angry, whatever. And when I was told I had cancer, I spent a long time fighting my own fear, my own fatalism uh, for ages and ages and ages. I wish, I really wish that when they told me that I had gone, oh, thank God. God is doing a wonderful thing here. No, no, no. You know what I'm saying, don't you? And I get it, right? Like, we're human. We're going to have our responses. We're going to have our reactions. And it's okay. We've got to, and we've got to pay attention to that stuff. We need, to, we need to feel the fear that we're feeling. We need to grieve if we need to grieve. We need to be angry if we need to be angry. We've got to do that. That's what it means to be healthy, to be able to process that. But at some point... At some point, right, we shouldn't, never, shouldn't ever camp out there. We need to get to the point where hopefully we can move to a position where we go, I don't know why this is happening. I don't like it. I don't think it's fair. I wish I wasn't going through it, etc., etc., etc. However, I believe you're a God who doesn't waste a moment. I believe you're a God who doesn't waste a thing. So God, help me to see what you are doing in this. What is it that you are going to do? What is it that you are going to do? What are you going to do in me? What are you going to do through me? What are you going to do in this situation? Again, I don't believe God caused it because God is not the author of bad things. He is the, the father of heavenly lights from all whom God, good things come, yes? Right? He is the giver of good things. He did not cause this, but is he going to use it? Now, I once heard someone say, you know, we can waste our lives looking for meaning in the thing that we're going through. But instead of wasting our time looking for the reason and the meaning in it, why don't we forge some meaning out of it? That is entirely within our, our hands. We have the capacity to do that. It may be, like when my geneticist said to me, it's just bad luck, there's no meaning to be found in that. I just got some stupid random cosmic lottery. That's all that happened, you know. There's no meaning in that for me. But I take what has been dished up to me and I am now, God willing, going to say, what are you going to do with it? What am I going to do with it? What are we going to do with it? Since I've been diagnosed with cancer, four people I know have been diagnosed with cancer. Maybe, maybe it's so I can empathise. Maybe it's so I can help. Who knows, you know? We don't know. But we won't know unless we go looking for it, will we? And this is the mindset thing. This is about seeing. I take my eyes off looking for reasons as to why, 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 why. And I take my eyes and I go, what? What am I seeing? What am I not seeing in this situation? I mean, personally, I'm in a whole other world that I never wanted to be a part of. I'm in a club I didn't want to join, right? But are you telling me God's not doing something in this? Are you telling me God's not in this somewhere? He is in there. I just want the eyes to see it. I want to be able to see those opportunities when they come up. So the, the, the apostles, like, they're with Jesus. They've seen him in action. They've seen him heal sick people. But they come across this guy, and all they want to know is why this is happening. Rather, here's an opportunity for us to see healing come to this man. You know? And these are the people we want, to be, we want to be the people like Jesus who goes, don't, don't be asking why it happened. Look for what. Look for what is God doing in this situation. Can you think of any situation you're currently in right now where this might apply to you? Are you in a place where maybe you don't want to be or going through something you perhaps don't want to go through and you're like, 
ah, you know, it's unfair, I don't want to be going through this. Try and step back from that a little bit and go, but then God, I'm here, so what's going on? What are you doing in me? Because let me tell you this, right? It's not just about what God is going to do through me, it's what God's doing in me as well. And sometimes the only way God can deal with stuff is when we go through some difficult time, because seem we, little, we seem to be a little more open to being changed then, don't we? We seem to, well, I hope we do. I mean, we could go the other, we could go the other way and we could go really hard towards God. But if we adopt an op- open posture, then guess what? God is not going to waste that situation. And that's the thing. You're in it, don't waste it. Make the most of it. Let God use you and do stuff in you in the middle of that. So how do we do that? Well, a couple of simple things. We can try and be self-aware enough, humble enough to realise that we are not as objective as we like to think we are. Okay? We're all full of biases, prejudices, assumptions, worldviews, beliefs, theologies and stuff. And they all form the filter through which we view absolutely everything. None of us are, are objective. You know, I know sometimes we like to think, I'm just telling you the way things are. I'm just telling you what we see. No, you're telling us what you see. And what you see could be very different to what I see because there's different things going on for each of us, right? And so we can be self-aware and humble enough to realise that we're carrying a lot of this freight, okay? And it all shapes the way we see things. And to understand that you will always find what you're looking for. If you're looking for someone to blame, you'll find someone to blame. If you're looking for a reason to be angry, you'll be angry. If you're looking for a reason not to get involved, you'll find an excuse. If you're looking through the lenses of fear, you're going to find something to be afraid of, right? So be aware. Try and put your finger on what's going on for you. And secondly, dial down the static in your own life. We need to deal with what's going on in us. And therefore, it's trying to be self-aware again and understanding of ourselves enough to know what's going on for us. You know, for example, if you, you find yourself suddenly unemployed and yet you've still got a family and all these commitments to, to meet, to look after and family and commitments to meet, you know, to be honest, one of the big things that's going to be going off for you is fear at that point. And if fear is the, the main thing that's going on in your mind, that's going to make you really tunnel vision because the only thing you're looking for is a job to solve this problem. But the bigger issue is not, is actually, well, is that the only way God can provide for you in this situation? So if all we do is look for everything, I need a job, I need a job, I need a job, I need a job, we're not stepping back enough from it to go, what are you doing in this situation, God? We could end up taking any job that lands, and there's not necessarily a problem with that, but we might take the first thing that comes along, whereas God was saying, but I wanted to do something even bigger here. You understand what I'm saying? So if lens is a, a fear of the lens through which we're looking at things, you know, so we've got to try and be aware of what's going on for us so we can know I'm panicking about this and I need to try and dial that down a little bit. I need to get into a space where I'm not afraid anymore so I can look at this a little more objectively. And then finally, the thing we can do is dial up our familiarity with God. Spending time in his word, meditation, worship, listening, going over the story, immersing ourselves in the God story so he and his ways become more familiar to us than all this other stuff. Jesus said, I only do what I see my father doing. Why? Because he was immersed in that story. He was immersed in that world. So where everyone else saw other things on the surface, Jesus was seeing things that God, opportunities that God was opening up all the time. They were looking at exactly the same scene. They were just seeing different things. You with me? Okay. We need to be attuned to that. You know, for example, if you were to put my family in a sea of a thousand people, I would pick my family out instantaneously because I am attuned to their faces. I am attuned to them in a way that I'm not anyone else, right? And this is the idea. 
that as we get to as we spend time familiarizing ourselves with God, we become attuned to, to what God looks like in a situation. And we're able to see it and to respond to it. I mean, Jesus even said, it's a slightly different metaphor, but he said, um, my sheep hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice. And that is, there could be a whole lot of din going on, but if you are tuned to the voice of Jesus, you're going to hear what Jesus is saying in that. Okay? And so we need to dial down the static in our own life, but then we need to dial up our familiarity with the ways of God. So sometimes it's not that easy to see what's going on because of all the stuff that's going on inside us. And what we see is not necessarily what's there. And we're going to be tempted to look for, for reasons and for people and things to blame and whatever. But can I, suggest to be able, can I suggest that if we can do anything, if you can take anything away from today, it's that when this hits, allow yourself to feel all you need to feel and process all of that stuff in a healthy, constructive way with someone if you need to. Pray it through whatever. But then get to the point where you're able to say, now, God, what? What are you doing? What is it I need to learn in this? What is it that needs to change in me in this? And what is it I need to partner with you in in this so this is not a wasted opportunity? Amen? Amen. Okay, thank you very much. We're going to take communion now. And again, it's an open table, and I invite absolutely anyone and everyone to come and to share in this. Thank you.